river to cross. Waypoint number three, the stream is rechanneled. God used the events of 1987 to show me how completely I had abandoned the stream banks he originally laid out for me. Change began to occur, not overnight, but over many, many nights. God drew me to himself and to his word and prayer. This redirection was the beginning of a 17-year process of change. It would take about three years for me to get refocused and start to draw much closer to God and let go completely of the old ways of thinking. These changes weren't immediately obvious, but slowly over the next 17 years, God was at work and I was responding. During this time, I had long periods of time when, other than work, the only reading I did was from the Bible or related literature. I did not watch television or pursue many of the pursuits that I had enjoyed for most of my life. This was a time of great spiritual growth, but it was also a time of pridefulness as I noticed others and what they were not doing. It was not intentional on my part. In fact, I didn't even realize this deadly flaw at the time. There is no way to, quote, overdo, end quote, God, but any movement into oneself is overdone. That was me going too far, not with God, but with Hollis. A lot of good and even great things happened, but time would reveal that I was still leaning too much upon my own way of thinking rather than on the real and true foundation, the only one, Jesus Christ. For my family, it was a great time of growth. I enjoyed years of very intentional prayer and scripture memorization times with my children. We sought out and participated in every spiritual growth opportunity I was aware of, such as revivals, family retreats, seminars, and other similar events. I had devotion times with my children in the mornings before school, and then we played together on our wraparound porches, on our trampoline, in the woods, on horseback, on bicycles, on ATVs. It was the best of times for my family life. It was also during this time period that I ran for and was elected as chancery judge over a four-county district. Great things took place over those approximately 17 years. It seemed that, in the penetrating words I heard recently, it was a time of, quote, preaching, end quote. But unfortunately, the sermon was way too much me. The only sermon that works is Christ and Him crucified. Chapter 27, And Then We Were Five, quote, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. End quote. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse eighteen. Six years after the miracle of Cage's birth, an attorney friend who had visited in our home and met Cage and knew we wanted more children called and said, I have another baby for you in prudence if you still want to adopt another child. We quickly acquiesced. In fact, this happened twice with the same lawyer in fairly short order, and all of a sudden we had two daughters added to the McGehee quiver, and then we were five. 
On April 24, 1990, our first daughter, Simmons Tate McGeehee, was born. Three days later, we traveled to Laurel, Mississippi, where we picked Simmons up at Shoney's Restaurant. My longtime secretary and dear friend, Vanessa Walker, along with an old friend once again, helped facilitate that delivery. When Vanessa handed us Simmons, it was just as exciting as the delivery had been with Cage. How do you describe the event of someone handing you a child who instantly becomes the centerpiece of your life and family? Adoption has been an awesome experience for us. Many years and challenges later, they are each yet growing in our hearts. In 1990, the third call came. I have another baby for you in Prudence. In fact, I have two, a boy and a girl. If you don't want both children, I have someone else who wants a child very badly, but it's your choice. If you want both children, I will make that happen. We decided it would be selfish to deny the other couple one child while we took two and had already been blessed by two. We deferred and told our friend that we would take one child and the other couple could choose first. On August 17, 1992, Abby Elizabeth McGeehee was born into our family. Three days later, we were waiting, where else, but at Shoney's Restaurant in Brookhaven, Mississippi, to meet Abby for the first time ever. Just like with Cage and Simmons, one of the most precious moments in all of life was to be handed another beautiful child, a daughter, a gift from God. Throughout the girls' lives, I have always joked with them that we picked them both up at Shoney's, a great place to get children. Abby once asked me where at Shoney's, and I said, well, it was between the buffet and the salad bar for Simmons and between the salad bar and the dessert bar for Abby. We have been very open with all three of our children about their adoption since their births. We always tell them most people have to take what God gives them. We chose you. You are adopted. You are special. I wish that I could report that I have been a great dad to all three children all the time. I can't give that report because another flood was on the way, but it was years away and God blessed us all to plant good seeds, God's seeds into their lives for many years. We had a daily routine of morning devotions and prayer together at the breakfast table. We memorized scriptures and kept a journal of our daily activities. Looking back at those journals is a great comfort and a pain to me today. It is a joy to look back at the great times we had for quite a few years. Sadly, later there came a time when I abandoned them for selfish, destructive habits, destructive to them and me and our family. How could I have lost the vision? How could I have become so self-centered? The same way anyone can, by trusting in my own sense of direction rather than trusting God. I know that they were hurt by my failures, but I also know that God is tending the seeds he planted in them, and he has a plan for their lives. Cage is married and has three children. Simmons is a registered nurse married to Kevin Copeland. They have a daughter, Adeline. Abby is an EMT. She is going back to school and is raising her daughter, Kylie. All three of our children are gifts from God, each unique, each special, as are all of God's children. 
We are all created in his image and put here to love him and be in relationship with him. There is no greater desire in my life than to see my children loving and serving God in the unique ways he has gifted each of them. I am 60 now, and I am still trying to figure out my path in life. This is teaching me to be more patient and more trusting of God and his promises, including his promises in each of these three special children, each one a gift from above. There was a needlepoint that hung in the children's bathroom that expressed our feelings for them as well as anything I could ever say. Quote, Neither bone of my bones nor flesh of my flesh, you grew not under my heart, but in it. Chapter 28, God's Grace at Work, parenthesis, in God's perfect time, in parenthesis. Quote, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. There are moments in every life that just don't make sense, moments and events when everything seems to point toward a tragic ending, but for reasons unknown, the person escapes what seems to be certain death. I am not surprised at these moments, but my question is, how and why has my life been involved in so many of these moments? Riding motorcycles has been a part of my life for many years now. I have ridden through quite a few states and even ridden all the way across Mexico on a mission trip back in the year 2000. There is an old saying among motorcycle riders, it's not a question of if, but when you will go down. Everyone who arrives expects to encounter a moment when there is an unscheduled dismount, a collision or crash of some kind. I have been blessed to avoid that with the exception of a couple of low-speed parking lot type mishaps. This story is about one of the times I avoided a crash that was nothing short of a complete unexplained act of God's grace that was truly miraculous. We were riding a brand new black Honda Valkyrie Interstate. We were two up, my wife and I. We were on a weekend getaway to Natchitoches, Louisiana. This was our second trip over, and we left on a Thursday with plans to return on Saturday. The trip to Natchitoches is a classic ride through some of the most beautiful pine timberland in northwest Louisiana. Our ride that Thursday was one of those special, uneventful days on a bike when everyone seems to be watching out for bikes. The ride was scenic and pleasant. We had reservations to stay at the Judge Porter house, bed and breakfast in Natchitoches, and we arrived at the close of a bright, sun-drenched day. Our time in Natchitoches was exactly what we were looking for, quiet, peaceful, and just us, a time to read, reflect, visit, and walk along the river. It was a time of restoration. Having enjoyed our two nights away, we headed out on Saturday morning on the four-hour trip back to our home on the Homochitta River in Franklin County. We stopped late morning at an excellent roadside barbecue spot in Louisiana and enjoyed a sandwich, a cold drink, and a chance to stretch our legs for a few minutes. We left the barbecue joint and set our sights for Natchez, where I knew we would be stopping for fuel. 
Our bike, the touring version of the Honda Valkyrie, was a fine-looking bike, but also very stable, quite powerful, and handled well. It was black and loaded with chrome, one of those the rider feels really good about. After refueling in Natchez, we got on the historic and winding Liberty Road running east out of Natchez that terminates at Mississippi Highway 33 in the Knoxville community over in Franklin County. Liberty Road is a very curvy, hilly, and scenic route. The narrow roadway is framed with high banks unique to the Natchez area called Loez Bluffs, we were coming close to the end of a classic three-day motorcycle mini-vacation, cruising along Liberty Road and enjoying music. Prudence was reading her book in her back saddle on the Valkyrie. The radio program I was listening to changed over to a Christian talk program, and the speaker began to talk about the absolute sovereignty of God. We were out past Second Creek Grocery and had just come up a hill and around a right-hand curve into a short straightaway that led into a left-hand curve. Just as I entered that straight stretch, the Christian speaker proclaimed, quote, No one leaves this world until God is completely ready to receive them into his hands, end quote. At that very moment, an older model black pickup truck with an overhead rack loaded with lumber and pulling a trailer full of junk of every kind was coming our way. The truck crossed the center line, was fully blocking my lane, and its front was on my shoulder, headed for the ditch on my side. In short, this truck and trailer were dead in front of us, had both lanes and the shoulder blocked. There was nowhere to go. There was no escape route. The only option was the ditch, but the truck was headed that way, cutting off that possibility. The choices were try to beat the truck into the ditch or hit the trailer. I was traveling at about 60 miles per hour, and neither option provided a survivable plan. The time frame was less than two seconds from observation to D-Day. With no option, I pointed the bike for the ditch, trying to get there ahead of the truck and trailer. I had no sense of any option short of a deadly crash. I left the road and hit the grass with the words ringing in my ears, No one leaves this world until God is ready for them. I have no explanation for what happened. None. I turned to my right, hit the grass, and then saw only grassy shoulder and roadway coming up in front of me. With no idea how, other than the grace of God, we were on the other side of the truck and trailer. I had no idea then, nor do I now know, how that happened. There was no escape. There was no place for us to go. We came out without a dent or a scratch. Prudence didn't even look up until we were in the clear and never even realized fully what had just happened. I drove on for a few miles before I pulled over and experienced a trembling from my head to my toes. I had faced certain death and been delivered. A last-second reprieve, and to this day, I have no idea how it happened. It was as miraculous as the parting of the Red Sea. In some fashion, God parted the way and gave us safe passage through a deadly solid object 
or perhaps took us over it or around it in some unknown fashion. All I know is there was no way out of that confrontation alive, yet here we were, alive, well, without even a scratch. No one leaves this world before God is ready. Clearly God wasn't ready. There truly is no other explanation for how we cheated death that day. It just wasn't God's time or will for our departure. Quote, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. End quote. Psalm chapter 139 verse 16. Often, in spite of ourselves, God brings us through and is always our shelter. Verse 